Here we are, middle show of the work week. I feel like we have done some really good work the last couple of nights, <laughs> but I'm tired. That's what the home show is about. So yes, proud of the work that we're doing and glad that we've got some fun adventures planned through the rest of this week. Uh, some that we've already undertaken that are on video that we will share with you. Others that we still have in store. And it's, it's my favorite thing to be creative. And if we're not reinventing the wheel, at least to grease that squeaky wheel a little bit differently. And so I do love what we do. I love the familiar rhythms, but I also love trying new elements, whether they work or they don't work. I'll just tell you, sometimes they flame out uh, in a just in a blaze of disaster. Uh, but there are a lot of times that we stumble into new stuff and really enjoy it. So part of that is YouTube. I do not love being on video. I hate actually being on video. It makes me really nervous. I just worry about all kinds of dumb stuff when I'm on video. And I feel, <laughs> I feel very odd about it. Uh, but Jay loves to do YouTube stuff. And we had had to take some time away from it just to get acclimated to what was happening uh, during football season, the month of October. And now we feel like we had a good opportunity with Halloween in front of us. Orange is my favorite color. I'm not big into Halloween, but orange is my favorite color. Fall is my favorite season. And I found us a beautiful pumpkin. I mean, beautiful. Unfortunately, she's no longer beautiful. She has a very ugly hole. <laughs> But, Rude. I know, it's so sad. But you will get to see um, the creative juices flowing with said pumpkin uh, and the tools that Literally. producer Jay came up with. Uh, I kind of feel... I kind of feel like we still did not have everything we needed, but that's not on Jay. Who knew that you would need tape of some sort to be able to? The tools help. Who knew that when I said we needed gloves, I was right. <laughs> so we got a couple of different things going on this edition of the Hump Show. We're asking you your top three Halloween candies. It's weird. I go back and forth. I don't know whether to plural candy or not pluralize candy. Candies. Candy, your top three Halloween candy, candies. <laughs> like candies. So you can check that out. You can find that post on Twitter after our CBS, same place that you can send your questions for Ask Amy Anything. I see they're already coming in. Uh, so that's good news. Jay's busy in there. He's retweeting. He's taking notes. He's uh, trying to ignore the pumpkin that's sitting in the studio here. He actually said it smelled like pumpkin when he walked in. I would concur. I do think it smells like pumpkin when I go in and out of our studio. Uh, so, yeah, there's all there's all kinds of stuff happening behind the scenes here. I'm wearing orange. Jay's wearing black. We look perfect for Halloween. I got, or I got a little bit of orange on. Snuck it in there. He did. He snuck it in underneath his black. Uh, so, yeah, it's a busy week around here. Final full week of October. I don't even know how to process that. World Series starts on Friday. NFL Week 8. Week 8 starts on Thursday. How is that even possible? And, of course, we've got hoops and hockey with a couple of storylines that stood out on this edition of the show. We're live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours, Rocket Mortgage can help you get there. For home loan solutions that fit your life, Rocket can. Now, as we head through the show, I mentioned that we'll have the latest in QB news, some of the updates on the stories that we've been following over the last couple of days, like Matthew Stafford's health. He's taken a lot of hits, like the Patriots. 
using two different quarterbacks on Monday night and Bill Belichick being very cryptic, being very Bill Belichick with his information. A lot of theories about what happened with Mac Jones and why he was on the field at all and what was the plan going into the game against the Chicago Bears. We've also got the latest on Kenny Pickett. As the Steelers are trying to climb out of the basement where they're tied with the Browns in the AFC North. And then Aaron Rodgers. I think right now he and Tom Brady are grouped together because of all the storylines we've seen play out in the first seven weeks of the NFL season, Bucks and Packers being below 500 with two offenses that very rarely are in sync for consecutive drives, very rarely have been able to put together even a a solid half of football. In multiple games, we've seen these two teams with their future Hall of Fame quarterbacks unable to put touchdowns on the board, to put the ball in the end zone. It's easy to blame the quarterbacks. I say this all the time. Quarterbacks get way too much of the credit. For instance, QB wins. That should not be a stat. Why should a quarterback get credit for a win if it's, say, a defensive game? Like, uh, Let's see. If I'm going back to the game between the Saints and the Buccaneers in week two, and I remember it because I was sitting in a studio in Green Bay, Wisconsin, watching this game. It was brutal offense. Now, it was week two, so there's a little more leeway, a little more grace there. But neither the Buccaneers nor the Saints had scored any touchdowns as we're going into the second half. And you know what happens in the second half? The Buccaneers pick off Jameis Winston three times. One of those touch, One of those is returned for a touchdown. I think ultimately the Bucs scored one TD offensively, but the game was won by the defense, by the takeaways. It was not won by Tom Brady, and yet somehow Tom Brady gets credit for a win in that situation. So that's why I hate QB wins. That's just one example. But it's also indicative of how much more credit we give quarterbacks and how much more blame quarterbacks receive than any other position on the field, even when it's not accurate or it's not appropriate. Now, could Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers be playing better? Heck yeah. They've been off on some throws. They've made some poor decisions. That's the case for sure. But it's not all on them. I get text messages from family and friends. Man, these quarterbacks should retire. They stink. They're too old. Father time is undefeated. It's, it's not that simple. Ever. And just this past weekend, I think it was fairly obvious if you're watching the Bucks and Packers that nobody's really in sync. First of all, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Romeo Dobbs, other Green Bay Packers receivers dropping passes. That happened a lot in their two losses on Sunday. And something else that happened, and I don't understand this, why Matt LaFleur... And the Packers offensive staff insist on going pass first at times. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are a formidable tandem. 
they should be the top options in that offense. The Packers play better. The Packers win more when they focus on the run game first. We see that. It's it's not rocket science. And I would say the same thing about the Buccaneers. Now, their offensive line has been a bit of a mess. But they're not focusing or featuring the run game. Tom Brady's throwing for a lot of yards. He's throwing a lot of passes. And certainly, he's still capable of doing that. But their offense doesn't have the same depth to it that we've seen in the past. And so if you look at where these two offenses are right now in terms of points per game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are at 17.7 points per game. They are, would you like to know the teams that are below them? This is actually kind of crazy. The Broncos are dead last in the NFL. Well, there's a shocker. The Steelers are 31st. The Colts are 30th. All three of those teams have had to use multiple quarterbacks. The Rams, that one's crazy, right? They're in 28th in terms of points scored per game. The Texans, the Panthers, oh my God, these are the worst teams in the NFL, except for the Rams, which I suppose right now you could say belong there. But the Rams also have a really strong defense, which is saving them. So Broncos, Steelers, Colts, Rams, Texans, Panthers. Do you know who's next? The Buccaneers. (laughs) that's how far they have fallen in terms of their offense. Let me keep going. The Commanders, the Bears, the Packers. So the Packers and the Buccaneers, two teams with future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, are in the bottom fourth, essentially the bottom eight or so, in terms of points per game. The Packers score 18.3 points per game. And the Buccaneers... 17.7. Now, rushing yards per game, this one blows me away. Buccaneers are dead last in rushing yards per game. Not even 65 rushing yards per game. Packers are a little better. They're they're at 110, but I think that's skewed based on a couple of games in which they have focused on the run. The numbers... Well, sometimes they don't paint an accurate picture, but in the case of these two teams, they definitely do. (laughs) So Aaron Rodgers, I wouldn't say he's on a rampage or anything, but just like Tom Brady, getting honest, getting frank, getting real, being open about the fact that they have to, they have to recognize that the only way they make changes is if, they go internal is if they look at themselves themselves in the mirror and say, we got to fix this. I think when the players really take over, then you see, you're going to see the possibility of us making a run. So when the players really take over, I'm not talking about usurping power from coaches. I'm talking about we take over, we take ownership of what we're putting on the field. Now, some of that might be in the plan. So some of that might be, Hey, I really want to do this, offense, defense, teams, whatever it might be. Um, but the other part is taking ownership of your, your daily habits and your routines. Just because we're a young team, we can't just write that off as, oh, they're figuring it out. The rookies are figuring this thing out, and they're going to go through their rookie wall and blah, blah, blah. We need everybody on the same page to make the plays that are possible. But we need them Monday to Saturday 
to put in the time to be ready to play Sunday because there's too many times in a game where there's simple, simple things that just are not being accomplished. Simple, simple things that are not being accomplished. Tom Brady said something similar on his Let's Go podcast when he talked about attention to details, when he talked about doing the little things right, when he talked about taking ownership. Aaron Rodgers continues on Pat McAfee, and he does not hold back about the kind of changes that could be on the horizon. Guys who are making too many mistakes shouldn't be playing. Got to start cutting some reps. And maybe guys who aren't playing, give them a chance. I really think the best in people, and and I expect that high level. So for me to go out there and think, oh, man, this dude is guaranteed not running the right route. I have no idea what he's doing. I don't, I don't think like that because I just have an expectation that, you know, we've had these conversations for months now about certain things, and they're going to recall it in the moment, and, and I know they're going to do the right thing, and we're going to make this work. So I just have a lot of optimism when I'm out there. They definitely need that because things have not been going well. In the game against the Commanders, notwithstanding, it's the third of three consecutive losses. The Giants, the Jets, now Washington. So what did the defense do, if you're looking at that game specifically, to throw off the Packers? They didn't have to do anything. They play, They rushed four guys. They played cover four. They sprinkled a couple weak inserts and a couple man coverages. And that was it. So what do you think it is? They got, good, they got good players. But as far as, like, schematically, what did they do? Well, I mean, they have a nice front. They have a lot of first-rounders in that front. They got a good, uh, you know, good linebackers, good on the back end. But we had so many uh, just mental errors and mistakes. It's just it's not the kind of football we're used to playing. You can hear the frustration in his voice. You can hear him tapping on whatever it is that he's tapping on or fidgeting. This is not something Aaron Rodgers is used to. And it's certainly not a position that is comfortable for Tom Brady either. And so both those quarterbacks having to come to terms with, hey, our seasons are hanging in the balance here. Now they've both said there's a long way to go, but our season's hanging in the balance here and we got to figure this out. And the only way to do that is for the players to take ownership, for us to get back to work and figure this out. I mean, that's the type of leadership you need. I say it all the time, losing adversity it reveals either the strong leadership and guys who are willing to follow the leader or the opposite. It exposes bad leadership or no leadership. And I do believe both these guys have been around for a long time. They have voices that resonate with the locker rooms. And, of course, more of the responsibility falls on them because of the positions they play and because of their experience. Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show is always on Tuesdays. All right, coming up, diving into our conversation with Gene Steratore. We've got questions for the longtime NFL referee and CBS Sports rules analyst, and he always answers when we call. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, The Hump Show. Send your questions for Ask Amy Anything to either Twitter or Facebook. We're also collecting top Halloween candy. And by collecting, I wish I actually meant we had it here in studio. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us here on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Walker in the gun, Foreman off his left tip, two receivers to the left, two stacked to the right. One of them is the tight end, Trimble. Walker, the snap, fires downfield. Tommy Tremble's open, makes the catch! Touchdown, Panthers! 
Like, that's gorgeous. Wide open. Off the field, on the money, and after hours, it's time to talk football with Amy Lawrence. It was definitely the shocker of week seven, though maybe we're getting used to it with the Buccaneers. They lose to the Panthers in the NFC South, and this one taking place in Florida. The call there on Panthers Radio. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Now, maybe uh, the attention after the game was stolen away by this video that hit the internet and went viral of two officials who were catching up with Mike Evans in the tunnel and people jumping to conclusions, assuming that they were asking for Mike's autograph. It certainly does look like an exchange that would that would take place when you've got people asking for an athlete's autograph. According to the NFL, that's not what happened. Instead, uh, it was an exchange in which Mike Evans gave his number to one of the officials who apparently has a connection to a golf pro. Mike wants to take golf lessons. That's what the NFL is indicating. Mike himself has said that this had nothing to do with an autograph, but people will speculate. And the video definitely could be exactly that. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. That was where I wanted to start with longtime NFL referee and CBS Sports rules analyst Gene Steratore because I do think it's important in this day and age where gambling is taking place and where there are actually people out there who believe pro sports are rigged. This is a, a critical moment, the way the NFL responds, and I wanted to get to the heart of it. So Gene Steratore, who spent decades in the NFL and in college basketball, always so kind to pick up the phone and to answer our questions when we reach out to him. Gene, why is it so important that it doesn't even appear as though officials are in any way compromising their relationships with the athletes? For the obvious reasons, Amy, I would think all of us would, would understand the optics of it, right? I mean, even if it is for another reason or whatever the case may be, the optics of having something like that happen, it, it puts the possibility of questioning the integrity of the game or of, uh, of a judgment in a game, uh, you know, not just for those individuals specifically or that crew, but naturally then collectively for the staff and, and, and for all of the reasons that we would all fully understand, you just wouldn't want to have that happen. Look, on the field, I, I was a talker, right? So I joked back <laughs> and forth uh, with the players, and I felt like that developed a relationship, which I never felt was a, you know, a personal relationship where I was going to start yelling, look out or something when a defensive player was coming near a quarterback or something unblocked. But so there, there's an engagement that you have there within the moment, and, and, and I think that's totally acceptable. But, but the optics of what we have seen, all of us have seen now with the advent of Twitter and, uh, and, and people having cameras on their phones and video uh, everywhere you go, it's just not the type of look that, that anyone wants. And I'm sure that both officials involved uh, specifically in that regard, too, they wouldn't want something like that to have uh, happened or, or be on film, regardless of how innocent the gesture was. It's just not a good optic for the game. If an official, maybe a newer official or referee, would come to you and say, where do I draw the line, what would you tell him or her? You're going to work is what you're really doing. 
I mean, uh, yes, is it in front of millions of people, you know, millions of people, thousands in arenas and cameras everywhere and, and things of that nature. But you're in your job place. You, you are a participant of those. Now, yes, do we all see people that are famous or, or have earned that, that level of, uh, of stardom and appreciation for what they do without a question of a doubt? But you are on that playing surface with them. That that puts you in, as far as the you know the job at hand is the equal to that. So you you don't do that. You you interact with them. They're the best players in the world. And guess what? You're the best officials in the world. So we're we're just out here sharing these moments together, <laughs> but never in a fan type of an optic, right? We're out here to do our work, and it's a very serious environment. That if you can make it light every once in a while and stay focused, then that's a great thing. But but really, it is to be addressed that way. And and I would say, you know, yes, this is unfortunate because it happens in the stadium, uh, you know, when 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 a lot of things are present. But truly, too, uh, officials understand um, your behaviors and, and how you were seen on and off of the field, and most times off of the field, <laughs> is what represents who you are and reflects what the fraternity means. So you not only have to keep yourself really, really the high bar when you're in, in the types of situations when games are playing, uh, but you need to continue with the same standard whenever you're living in your community and your personal life. It, it is that specific and truly officials do speak to that that is something that is said to the newer officials when you step into this this limelight in this level that that, that that's understood and uh, and I'm sure that's why you know all parties involved right now or or are kind of frustrated as you know as a result of this action I know though that some of these guys who've been around the league for a long time, you've worked countless numbers of their games and they will address officials by name or they'll come to you and say, hey, what about this? Or they'll get familiar in that, hey, I need an explanation or I think this call was wrong. I mean, there certainly is a ton of interaction on the field among players and officials. Yeah, and you know, Amy, I wish they asked it as nicely as you just said. Hey, can we have a discussion about the previous play or something like that? That would be fantastic if it sounded so polite. Uh, <laughs> but, but truly, I mean, I think what, really what you're saying, and this is what I loved about now the reflection, right? It's been three or four years since I've been active in both sports. But you, when you do look back, you realize when a player – kind of lives his full career that that's a 12 to 15 year endeavor and that's a that's a long career in the national football league um but you know what when you have that level of a career as an official then really your career is along with them and they've kind of intertwined from the moment they came in as rookies or some you know a lot of times officials work 20 plus years so these veterans that retired with a full career, you may have been in your fifth year when they were a rookie. So huh. there definitely is a film, you know, a familiarity that takes place as a result of that interaction two or three times a season. Uh, so yes, uh, do they kind of know who you are? They they do their <laughs> homework, uh, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they feel like that endears themselves to you a little more that I know your name or see how many children you've had or something like that, and in a lighter moment. Uh, boy, I wish they would have asked me the question so politely. Like, can can we just talk a little more about that play you just didn't throw a flag on? 
I would have loved to have answered just as politely, too. <laughs> We're so excited to have Gene Steratore back on the show. You now see him on CBS Sports. He's a rules analyst, but he spent years and years as an NFL referee and also an NCAA basketball official. It's after hours on CBS Sports Radio. Something that wasn't the case when I first started following football, so my career now going back 20 years, is that we didn't know referees' names, nor did we have this affinity for some of them. Like, I remember Ed Hockley and his big biceps, right? And now his son is in the league. Everyone knows who Gene Steratore is now and Dean Blandino and some of these others. Uh, and it's it's almost as though you all have become central figures, too. It's become that familiar where we actually know names and personalities. Yeah, and you know, I think... I think through the evolution of my career, those two decades, I really think that came to the fore a lot. Now, look, nerdy official families like mine, we knew who the refs <laughs> were all along. So, you know, I go back to Jim Tunney, who was phenomenal, red cashing with his classic first down, uh, uh, you know, um, announcement, and Jerry Markbright and the way that Jerry Markbright stood and did games. So we have our Hall of Fame kind of in our little nerdy world of <laughs> officials, but but I do think you're right, and I think, look, social media explodes now, right? Accessibility to information is, is so quick and on our phones uh, in the heat of the moment. So it was something that I felt became much more noticeable, and I would say truly, although uh, I've been accused of not shying away from the camera at times or maybe <laughs> not being short of words at times, um, you never really seek the camera when you're refereeing, you know, or when you're officiating, uh, because I can assure you that most times if the camera's looking for you, um, it's not because, you know, you just caught a 30-yard pass and made a great leaping grab in the sideline or something like that either. So you didn't seek that attention, but you also understood, especially in the NFL with the white hat on. You become part of the production of, of these shows now a little. You know, a little bit of information to the talent on, from, on the field does allow those announcers to get a little insight as to what just happened or what you did. And there are those brief moments where I think I realized that in football much more than basketball as a referee, uh, administering the game, getting the pertinent information concisely finished, waving your arms slow enough when you're going to timeout so that you don't ruin the commercial time that's so precious to a production but there are many crossovers like that when you are a referee in the nfl so you are cognizant of the recognition that you're going to get and the attention that you're going to get in that three-hour window of that game and then naturally the efficiency of how you administer the downtime on the field it makes for a much better experience for the players and, and coaches as well so we are now seven weeks in, and of course I have my questions, but before I ask them, Gene, how would you describe, from an official's perspective, the, these first seven weeks and what it's been like? You know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't ever get hyperbolic and say it's worse than any other year or oh, it's no. much greater or better than any other year or anything like that. I think it does truly, I do truly feel like every year it becomes a little more scrutinized and I have to honestly admit uh you know these rules analyst positions where now we do have someone of some knowledge that is at our uh, you know right right in the real-time moment 
to kind of elaborate a little more on something. In, in some ways, that's also drawn a little more attention to some of the judgment. I think what I've noticed from the officiating part of it, we've had roughing the passer situations over the last couple of weeks, right? Sure. Ironically enough, roughing the passer is down, you know, around 30% in the total amount of roughing the passers called this year. The types of roughing that, that may have been called or may, you know, may have not been called, most, most of the ones we've talked about here that have been called. What happens in the officiating world, and it's a, it's a process through this journey of a season and into the postseason, and it's something that the crews talk about week in and week out, I'm sure, is as a, as a group of officials on a crew, if you have a play that you miss that, that's a rather obvious type of a mistake, that you hope you don't make, but if the game's fast, then these mistakes do occur. When you miss what I used to call with my crew and probably because of my crossover between both sports, when I would tell my football crew, look, we can't miss layups, right? You can't miss the layup. If you miss the layup as an offici- officiating crew in a game, that missed layup is, is truly you're going to lose any kind of hope in gaining any credibility on the 50-50 plays that are going to happen throughout the rest of that day now because uh-huh. you missed the layup, right? So you have to be aware of that, and, and, and that's how fine-tuned and aware you need to continue to stay because one mistake like that in a game causes you know skepticism for these other really hard, great plays. You're not going to get any love either. That also grows to the staff. Right. So if there's two or three of those plays that happen in a week or two weeks in a row, unfortunately, now the collective is before this game starts. Right. We're already thinking because of this attention on things that we have seen and thought this is pretty obvious. They should get this replay doesn't need to come in or we don't need to watch this in slow motion. That starts to happen again. So really, it's a long season these things happen. Uh, I think we went through a little bump like that here in the first month and a half or seven weeks of the season. Uh, And now the goal for the staff for the game, each crew is, listen, let's calm the waters, you know, become less, you know, less apparent here. (laughs) And and let's get the big stuff and get back to to the game. But but inevitably, you know, it it rears its head and it's part of the process. The process. Oh, man, we love to talk about the process. Trust the process. Well, I trust Gene Steratore, and I did pick his brain further about roughing the passer when I caught up with him for an extended conversation on Tuesday afternoon. So that is straight ahead. What are officials supposed to be looking for when it comes to roughing the passer? It's After Hours on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. In a conversation with a longtime NFL referee, Gene Steratore, now part of the CBS Sports family as a rules analyst, so you get him every weekend on TV. And the big topic is roughing the passer. He admitted it. I'm going to jump right in. Gene, when you have to call roughing the passer, when these moments are in the spotlight, what is it that officials are looking for? Well, that's even gotten more specific, even in the four years since I've been gone, Amy. But but really what you're looking for in real time, which is, is, I can't emphasize that enough. I know we say that a lot on TV. And naturally, you know, the the people that really don't like the, the, the men and women in the stripes always say, oh, here he goes again about his fraternity. Uh, the speed of this is, is really of a nature that it's extremely difficult to under, to, to, to explain that unless you are within 
10 feet of that action and the speed of that action. It's not even close. If you're sitting in rows four or five, you think, boy, you're close to this. And boy, it feels different. And it does. Right. But it exponentially grows from the fifth row to the field field now. Um, so in these windows of this two-second time frame that happens from when a defensive player gets at least within two yards or so of a quarterback who's in a passing posture and you're you're taxed with the pass fumble situation as the ball gone, all these other elements come while you are trying to officiate about two yards ahead of this individual that has the ball because you have to see that that defensive or that action prior to when it gets to that quarterback, there's body weight involved. It's does this person, this human being moving very fast, very large person coming to a postured player who's the only player on a football field that ever gets hit standing still. Everyone else is moving when they get hit, but not this player. I know we hear a lot of all the, the, you know, kind of the little phrases about how we're protecting this, this position. You have to remember that and, and put the human element in that. That's why these protections are in there. And I can honestly say, when you are very screwed into the game and aware, the game does slow down, just like the players. It's one of the beauties of officiating. You get that same rush that an athlete who is really tied in and full focus gets. You also have to be very schooled on all the nuances that occur, and that concentration level can never lapse in. It just can't stop for a second. You don't blink between a play. There's no reason to. It's five seconds. Don't blink your eyes. It could be the difference between a pass fumble or where that hit occurs. But you also feel it, right? I mean, we all see it a little slower, but then there's a feel, the timing of it. Was it two steps or was it a step and a half? Now I get to do the beautiful thing now and rewind it and count <laughs> one step, two. Oh, I can't believe he didn't call that or she didn't call that. Can't you see the second foot just landed before the contact occurred and everybody goes, you know, we go crazy on, on TV and the viewers that are unhappy with, you know, the, the call or the non-call. But a lot of that's a feel. It's what makes the craft something that's extremely, you know, uh, hard to do. And, and very hard to continue to do for a long period of time, which is why you fall in love with it and you become a ref nerd like me. <laughs> <laughs> we went through this process where the NFL overreacted and instituted replay for pass interference, and we all know what happened to that, Gene. It was very short-lived uh, because it was not a good idea as a judgment call. Would it be a bad idea then to try to install some type of review for roughing the passer? I think we'd go down the same place. Amy, gotcha. you know, we're, we're, we're in the judgments. We're in the, we're in the areas where a little bit of gray uh, called or not called at times is also very good for the game. Uh, and I believe that as well. This game can't be officiated by the letter of the law in every specific nuance. It can't. The, the game would not be good. There is holding that's taking place, some restriction. Does it materially affect the play? Does somebody gain an unfair advantage as a result of it in that art? of those types of questions that officials answer in their mind in rapid succession comes the game. And, and you must keep that to where it is. In my humble opinion, I think when gotcha. we go down the rabbit hole, I think we're, we're opening up the same can of worms. Yeah. Well, we saw what happened with PI. It was a disaster and the NFL quickly right. and quietly did away with it. Uh, Gene Steratore is with us now with CBS sports, longtime NFL ref. And of course, NCAA basketball official, not that far away from the new season tipping mm-hmm. off. It's after hours here on CBS sports radio. In your opinion, what are the most challenging calls to make? As you mentioned, speed of the game and 
flow of the game? They're all specific to each official, right? I mean, referees aren't going to call uh, pass interference because right. their actions are on the interior line and actions on the quarterback and on the kickers. So referees live in that world of those types of plays in a game. Uh, each official is, is, has their own levels of, I'm sure, what they would think, boy, that's a harder play for me, uh, although it's not one that I may decipher. To me, I was the worst running into or roughing the kicker referee, I think, in the history of the NFL. Andy, because <laughs> no. I, I think, again, yes, yeah, some of the basketball would go into, you know, I always felt punters were flopping. You know, it was like I wanted to just call a blocking foul. I wanted to go to the line, shoot two, and let's play on, you know. But then I would always have every once in a while a coach tell me, uh, Gene, you know, running into the kicker is a penalty, too. And I'd say, Coach, he, he just did his leg a little, but he spun pirouetted. He went down on the ground. It's nothing. He, he said, no, that's called running into the kicker. And it's five yards, you know. So for me, I think that was probably my biggest challenge was I needed to quit thinking, look, you did get contacted, although why are you embellishing it? I'm not giving you anything, you know. So, uh, so I, I did. I, I made a few of those mistakes. I honestly can admit that now. And uh, all of the plays are as hard as you make them, and and truly none of them are extremely easy. Easy when you really become a three and four hundred level official. What you realize is, it's more about how you position yourself prior to the action taking place. I was just bad on the kickers, and I apologize to all of them. <laughs> no one apologizes to kickers, Gene. I like that. Good for you, breaking some new ground. What happens to an official? Is there any type of of penalty when an official gets a call wrong and the NFL points it out? Oh, most definitely. I mean, there's there's a punitive uh you know, mark on 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 that game specific, and and on your on your year's final grade, uh, and 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 truly, you know, going through an NFL season, if I felt like I had six or seven or eight misses in a season, it was a really really bad year, and, ah. and rightfully slow, and that's the truth of it. Uh, and they're they're graded in an extremely meticulous and high level. You know, the NFL has very quality people and a lot of them that are viewing each one of these games and watching each play four or five times so that they can watch each official's responsibility for each individual play every week. So the detail of, you know, and, and I think what you have to do in those situations, Amy, and that's one of the things as well that an official has to mold a new and younger official in, not just what we spoke to earlier, and that's just this unbelievable fishbowl that you live in, but this level of scrutiny that's going to take place on a human uh, in, in the most meticulous ways in this environment is, is also another challenge to the human individual, right, and sure. on your downtime for the six days. And you're going to be meticulously graded to the highest detail on Tuesday and Wednesday, right, of every week. So that's where they're living today. Their final grades are coming out on a, on, on a, on a midweek grade here from last week's game. You also need to be preparing mentally and emotionally for what's going to happen 72 hours from now as well. Uh, but it's also within that that starts to develop what I think is what makes you a great official, and that's the ability to critique yourself at that same level uh, and be that meticulous with how, how you are striving to work the perfect game 
with the acceptance and understanding that that is not going to happen. But how do I navigate the imperfections of that contest? But you also have to have that mentality that when that plays over, that plays over. Mm. Uh, it has to be put away. Very easy to say. Uh, <laughs> I can assure right. you, very, very difficult, very difficult to do in real time on a field and even much more difficult when the decision you made on Sunday at 2.30 in the afternoon is still being spoke about the following Thursday and has been for 72 straight hours in every media vehicle outlet that there is known to man. Interesting. And especially these days when we focus more and more on mental health for athletes themselves because of the fishbowl they live in. I can understand how it would be important as the leader of a crew. I just never thought about it that way as a referee, which, Gene, you were for so long in the league. You're responsible for yourself, yes, and the work that you're doing, even when it comes to kickers. Uh, but you're also responsible for the well-being and the, uh, the the calls that are made by the rest of your team. And so that's that's a new perspective, which is something I always get from you. Gene Steratore, longtime NFL referee and college basketball official, now with CBS Sports. It's always so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for answering the call whenever we reach out. Thank you so much, Amy, and take care of your mom. I know it was her birthday just yes. the other day. And uh, enjoy the family. We know how precious it is. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm PJ Vote here to tell you about my podcast called Search Engine, voted one of the best new podcasts by Time Magazine, Vogue, and The Economist. We answer fascinating questions about business, tech, and history. Questions like, who should be in charge of artificial intelligence? Or, how did ADHD medication get so popular so fast? Listen and follow Search Engine with PJ Vote and Odyssey Podcast, available now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.